You are listening to the audio podcast of the weekly message preached at Central United Methodist Church in Arlington, Virginia. You're invited to worship with us in person on Saturdays at 4.30 p.m. or virtually through Zoom or Facebook on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. Visit us at www.cumcballston.org. There you can learn more about our congregation and how we worship God, serve others, and embrace all. The reading today is from Acts verse, chapter 16, verses 16 through 40. One day when we were on the way to the place for prayer, we met a slave woman. She had a spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She made a lot of money for her owners through fortune-telling. She began following Paul and us, shouting, These people are servants of the Most High God. They are proclaiming a way of salvation to you. She did this for many days. This annoyed Paul so much that he finally turned and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to leave her. It left her at that very moment. Her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone. They grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the officials in the city center. When her owners approached the legal authorities, they said, These people are causing an uproar in our city. They are Jews who promote customs that we Romans can't accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas, so the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, the authorities threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. All at once, there was such a violent earthquake that it shook the prison's foundations. The doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. When the jailer awoke and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul shouted loudly, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for some lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, Honorable masters, what must I do to be rescued? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. Right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them and washed their wounds. He and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. The next morning, the legal authorities sent the police to the jailer with the order, Release those people. So the jailer reported this to Paul, informing him, The authorities sent word that you both are to be released. You can leave now. Go in peace. Paul told the police, Even though we are Roman citizens, they beat us publicly without first finding us guilty of a crime, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to send us away secretly? No way. They themselves will have to come and escort us out. The police reported this to the legal authorities, who were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They came and consoled Paul and Silas, escorting them out of prison and begging them to leave the city. Paul and Silas left the prison and made their way to Lydia's house, where they encouraged the brothers and sisters. Then they left Philippi. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lane. This is a wonderful story. 
a few verses before the action that Lane talked about, Paul and Silas and the company had met a woman, Lydia, who had brought them to her home and shown hospitality. And this story is wonderful because they go from Lydia's hospitality right back to Lydia's hospitality, but they have some adventures in between. Did, did you notice the play here? Paul has met a welcoming people in Lydia. Paul loses his temper, violence, and as a result, he and Silas are mobbed and beaten and imprisoned, more violence. There's an earthquake as they pray, natural violence. The jailer turns violence on himself. You, you, you see, back then it was a real simple rule. The jailer had the custody. If, if the jailer's prisoners escaped, the jailer would serve out the term of the prisoner and or be, or be executed. And by killing himself, he might have saved his family some difficulties. So the jailer turns violent on himself, but he's saved in more ways than one. And the city fathers face possible violence under a code of law that says what they did was grossly illegal in harming a Roman citizen without a trial. And they too are saved from the violence of their actions. And then Paul returns to Lydia. And did you see the salvation that's woven through here? Paul is saved from the girl, the slave girl. That's a tougher one. She may or may not have been saved. It may have been doing her no favors to take away her one talent. But Paul is saved and Silas from prison. The jailer is saved. The um, city leaders are saved. Recall Paul's words to the people of Colossae that we looked at last week. Words about how to conduct oneself as a Christian. I'll read them again. They're short. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. N notice that Paul didn't listen to himself. He lost his temper and he got into trouble. To fully get this story, we, we need to talk about powers and dominions. Paul knew exactly what he and his fellow Christians were up against in the world they sought to save. Here's how he put it in his letter to the Ephesians. We aren't fighting against human enemies, but against rulers, authorities, forces of cosmic darkness, and spiritual powers of evil in the heavens. Paul had a lot more to say on this point in his letters to the Corinthians and the Colossians. And these are the wolves that Jesus spoke about when he sent his disciples out into the world, sending his lambs into the world where there are wolves. In this story, we meet these powers and dominions at every turn. Of course, there's a spirit that infects the young slave girl. It's a spirit that succeeds in getting under Paul's skin and succeeds in what it's trying to do, which is violence. But there are other powers and dominions ready at work in our story here. Paul broke the slave owner's rice bowl. One does not do that 
in culture with an impunity. He took something of value from them and threatened for them taking even more. If he could do this, could he take the slave away from them entirely? Paul broke the peace. And one does not do that with impunity either. Try it. And by the way, ever notice how there are some people who love a good riot? The whole town got into this one. And Paul raised the authorities and with that their bureaucracy, one that exists to keep order and to keep others in order with violence. And the jailer. You can name the powers and dominions. For the slave girl, there was the power of fortune-telling. For her owners, there was the power of money, called mammon. For Paul and Silas, there was the power of unjust justice. And for the jailer, there was the power of his servitude to a bureaucracy and a fear of authority. Make no mistake, these powers and dominions are alive and at work today just as they were then. And I'm not talking about demons or Rosemary's baby, or, or Rosemary's baby, although that evil too is at walk in the world. And if any of you have questions about that, I'd be delighted to talk to you. There is great evil. But I'm talking about these, these lesser evils that we put up with and indeed are, are in cahoots with and sometimes don't even know it. No, am I talking about natural disasters of living in, in a natural world? No, I'm talking about the day-to-day -day struggles that we all experience when we work within this broken world of human beings. I'm talking about stepping out into a world where violence or threat of violence is always the solution to any problem. Now, I'm talking about violence not just against another person, the rods that Paul and Silas felt, it can be violence against a race or a culture or a religious denomination. It can be violence against a country. And it's not always that physical violence, although of course this happens. It can be psychological and emotional violence that you can find dealing with a bureaucracy. How many of you have gotten frustrated and upset getting into the OPM website? Those of you who retired from the federal government, I see some hands. I'll raise mine too. Or frustration and anger and annoyance in dealing with a state, federal, or local bureaucracy. God help you if you need to deal with Social Security. You do that in person. You go down and make an appointment. And of course, it can be the violence of a market operating of principles of strength and power, just like other forms of violence. Have you had your identity stolen? Have you had to deal with a bank because they misplaced your loan? These are powers and dominions. These are powers and dominions of chaos. They are triggering. They are there to make us less than human. Which brings us back to what Paul has told us about our behavior. Now, let's be clear. No one acts violently without thinking that they're doing the right thing, that they're justified, that they were standing up for their rights, or what they thought were their rights, that they were, they were in fear of losing their privileged place or being disrespected. 
that they were upholding all that they thought and believed and lived as being good. This is based on, on what Walter Wink labels as society's delusional assumptions. Let me read a few. You can add others, I'm sure. The assumption we need to control society and prevent chaos, and that requires some to dominate others. I grew up in a separate but equal world. I grew up here in Arlington. And even until I was an early teenager, I would go to what they called the Heck Company at Parkington. It's now Boston, common. And in the basement of the Heck Company, there were three restrooms. Men, women, colored. There were two drinking fountains, and I knew which one that I had to drink out of. Indeed, it was the only one that you could drink out of. The other one was filthy. That was not a problem. That was unfortunate, but it was the way things were. It's a society under demonic power. Powers. Authorities. There's the assumption of ruling and managing is the most important of all social functions, and that means that the rulers and the managers should be rewarded with privileges and wealth. If you've ever seen or been trapped in a motorcade here in Washington, D.C., and you see the motorcade go by and the police escorting, what, the second assistant deputy in charge of paper clips, maybe? Privileges and wealth. Another assumption, a valued end justifies the use of any means to keep or get power with the claim it's necessary for what? We see our politicians tell outright lies or swear they never said them. We see violence to keep or get power because they have to. You see, it's so necessary to save the country from the others. The assumption that money is the most important value, the triumph of a market economy, in the Western world. Have any of you been tracking the shortage of baby formulas? There is no reason in God's green earth that we cannot protect our children unless we leave it to the market. Property is sacred and property ownership is an absolute right. There are states where I can shoot and kill you if you're on my property, and I just think that you might hurt me. And by the way, these are seemingly benign and good. There isn't a single thing that I've gone through here that people defending these rights haven't believed them to be absolutely right and good. These almost never present themselves as being violent or wrong. Rather, the trick the powers have is that they are presented as benign and natural at best or necessary at worst. Try it for yourself. Do you ever get excited when your team really clocks the best player on the other side? Or maybe you found yourself hoping for that to happen. And, and why do many of us watch car races? Don't you get that thrill from watching violence or maybe even being in it yourself? 
How do you feel when you see the pictures from the fighting in Ukraine? It's like watching a video game, isn't it? And I want to tell you, for those who are operating the drones and the artillery, it is a video game. One of my brothers was career army. He said the recruits we were getting are fantastic. You see, they were raised with these educated thumbs. They make really good killers. And, and by the way, if you feel good watching you know, the Ukrainians' artillery taking out a Russian tank, and I admit I do too, it's the good guys winning. You watch that tank explode in a column of fire because it was badly designed. You've just watched three human beings be incinerated. Human beings who I'm sure did not ask to be there. A video game war. These are things that are hardwired into our societies and into our bureaucracies and into our customs and God help us into our churches. We have split as a denomination. So, what are we learning from Paul and Silas? What are we learning in the Gospels? What are we learning on, on this road that we're making? We're learning how to engage these powers and dominions. It brings us back to Paul and his words. Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. These aren't just words to encourage us to be nice or to, or to live well in a just society. Like his injunctions about love, these are vital actions in our struggle against the powers and dominions of this world. They're part of our process of change, of repentance in the true sense of the world, to turn around, to turn around and away from the powers, the dominions what it is to adopt to Jesus' way of a nonviolent engagement with the world, a way of being in the world, but not of it. The process, as Jesus showed, is both inner and outer. It's a total reorientation within ourselves whereby God becomes the unconditioned life value, which when it conflicts with any other value, has got to win. We're talking about our baptism when we renounce Satan and all his works. I'm going to let Walter Wink speak again here as he's better words than I have for trying to get this across. This is from his book, Engaging the Powers. He talks about becoming, not becoming, what we hate. Forcible resistance transforms itself into what it opposes. As long as we continue to justify violence as Christian, we will remain blind to our own captivity, to the, hypnosis, to the hypnosis of mimetic rivalry. We really do have to choose whether to continue to support the dominion system driven as it is by the myth of redemptive violence. This is the great divide that separates the gospel from all the apparently compelling justifications provided by the ideological counterfeit of the gospel. Now, here's where our test of how to discern the powers and dominions works. Back to Walter. Any religious message that promises we can win in the terms of the domination system is apostate. 
Any theology that promises success, national supremacy, or victory through redemptive violence is apostate. Any piety that equates the gospel with getting ahead, being number one, or salvation through patriotism is apostate. So what are we supposed to do? As William Stringfellow, another who's written on this struggle, puts it, where do we find an ethic for Christians and other aliens in a strange land? And we are aliens in a strange land. We as Christians are aliens in a world and from its strange morality. What we're supposed to do, in Brian McLaren's words, is to take our place as partners in this uprising, in this uprising, this rising up that Jesus has given us, in an uprising of nonviolence. Partnered with the risen Christ and made his partners through the crucifixion, that's the road we make by walking. That has, that's how we become in the world, but no longer of it. But beware. You will change. You, you must change if you do this. Remember the first thing that the hardened jailer did, that spear point of a violent society after he was baptized. The first thing he did was open his table to hospitality in defiance of powers that had ordered Paul and Silas jailed. In this, he saved as we are saved from powers and dominions that had before been willing to kill him, the jailer, and willing to kill what is good in us. Amen.